All right, good morning, everyone. So if you listen to that chorus that was just sung by Aria and Mo, I adore you, I adore you, I adore you. This is really, this is really what we're after here at Little Church, is the, the reason that we, that we teach and the reason that we worship is that God would grow within us a deepened love for him. Because within every single one of your hearts and every single one of your lives, there is this driving, yearning to have the emptiness that we all sense so much of the time filled. You know, last night, uh, in the bars in Laguna, everybody was trying to fill that emptiness in one way or another. They were maybe not in a bar, but maybe someplace else, trying to fill the emptiness. And there's only one thing that can fill the emptiness. Do you know what that is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ comes in, and he gives us his love, and he gives us his peace. And he puts an arm around us and says, you're all right, I love you. And so when Ari and Mo are singing, God, we adore you, we adore you, Everything that we teach here is to build our relationship with God. Every song that we sing is to look at the beautiful words that are up there and spark inspiration within our hearts to to love Him more. My biggest prayer every day for the past almost 50 years is, God, that your people would love you more. Because that's what the Old Covenant, and that's what the New Covenant instructs us as the greatest thing that we can do. Tell us, Lord, what is the greatest thing that we can do? And he said that is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. Think about that. Think about all, all that you have within you. And so this morning, I'm going to teach this morning, and, and my goal is, yes, I hope you remember what I said. That's much less important than that you go out of here and something of God's been being imparted. There's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit here. This is not like the Rotary Club or the American Legion meeting. And I appreciate those clubs in town. This is the house of God. This is the church of the living Christ. This is the place we come to get nourished in our hearts. All of you ate something this morning. You nourished your body. But here we come, we nourish our spirit as we sing and as we worship and as we teach and as we read the word of God. We build, we nourish our spirit, and we grow. We're going to talk about marriage today a little bit because we have this funny story that Jesus is going to be confronted with. And what is marriage other than growing in your love for one another? And the way that you grow in your love for one another is persevering through the ups and downs of life. And that's the way we walk with God. That's the way we grow in love. Love is not just a feeling. Love is the choice that you make, whether it's with another person or it's with your relationship with God. Love is what we do when we find it difficult to love. It's a choice. We choose. We choose to love sometimes. And then the feelings come and they ebb and they flow But what they do is they grow and they grow. And I was reading Psalm 84 this week about how times we go through the valley of weeping, but we always pass through this valley of weeping. But what's the promise on the other side is we go from what? 
strength to strength. Just know that everything you go through, everything that you face, you're becoming stronger if you just stand with your face to that thing and you don't give up. You say, God, help me. Help me. And if you're here this morning and you've never met the Lord Jesus, the greatest possible joy that you can ever have in life awaits you here this morning that God would touch your hearts and reveal himself to you, that you could begin to love him like I pray all of us will increasingly love him this morning. So I've got a lot to talk about today. We have two kind of funny, quirky stories. <laughs> and when I noticed the teaching schedule, and I looked at that and I thought, mm, it'll be, this will be interesting. Uh, so as a brief introduction, what we're noticing, so we're about four days, three days maybe from the cross. This is where we're at right now in the gospel. We're midway through chapter 20. We're about three, four days from the cross, and Jesus is teaching a lot, but something else is going on. And how many of you know that when you, when you walk with God and you, and you want to live for Jesus, the enemy is going to contend you with you. He's going to fight that. He's, he's going to try to trip you up. And this is what's happening with Jesus right now. His enemies are trying to trip him up. They're trying to entrap him. So don't be surprised when, they, when you are experiencing warfare in your life and you're facing temptation or you're, you're struggling with weakness. You know, God's the God of people who fail. Do you know that? Yeah, we fail once in a while. All of us fail. And aren't you glad that God is a God of second, third, fourth, 10, 15 chances? I am. I know that for sure. I need God to give me another chance every time I drive my car. <laughs> because <laughs> I say words I don't usually say the rest of the week in my car. I hate to admit that, but it's good for me to get it off my chest. So, anyway, <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm getting a clap in the uh, front pew here by about a four-year-old. That, that was pretty cool. So, <laughs> so I want to I wanna, uh, talk to you about the atmosphere that Jesus is living right now. I want to give you a, 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 a photograph that's going to help us understand what's going on. Now, this is a Sahara sand viper snake. And it's a beautiful snake. It's found in Israel, by the way, and in the north of Africa. And uh, this snake really should be called the cunning or crafty Sahara sand viper snake because of the way that it lures its prey, the way it tries to entrap its prey. Now, you'll notice it camouflages itself really well into the ground there. But check out the tail. The whole snake is beautifully melding into the background, but the tail is black. And this is the way that that snake lures its prey. It'll coil up like that, and it'll slowly raise its little black tail, and it'll begin to wiggle it like this. And when a bird is flying over, he looks down and thinks it's a worm. And he'll swoop down to get the worm, but guess what? The snake gets the bird. And if a lizard's scurrying around and sees that little black tail wiggling, it thinks it's an insect. And it'll go running over to get the insect, and then the snake will get the insect. It will get the uh, lizard. So the Pharisees and the scribes that we've been looking at here in recent weeks, they're just like this Sahara sand viper snake. 
They're seeking to entrap. They're seeking to lure Jesus to find fault with him, to some way get rid of him. They are so tired of the people following Jesus, and they're envious, and they're jealous. And three or four days they are. They're going to find someone who's going to betray him. But right now they're trying to trip him up. And that's what our passage is all about this morning. So let's look at our first passage. It's, uh, we're in uh, Luke chapter 20. Uh, this is the religious leaders question uh, Jesus. It's a very uh, familiar passage to most of you. Um, let's just read it. And then we're going to have a second passage that we're going to look at. And the religious leaders, the scribes, and the chief priest watched Jesus sending spies who pretended to be sincere in order that they might catch him saying something so they could deliver him up to the Roman authorities. They asked him, Teacher, we know you speak what is right, and you are partial to no one, but teach the way of God in truth. So they, they are speaking exactly who Jesus is, but the hatred inside them overpowers the good that they see in him. But teacher, you speak what is right, and you are partial to no one, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he, Jesus, detected their trickery. <laughs> Just like that Sahara sand viper snake, he detected their trickery and said, show me a denarius. Denarius was a Roman coin. I'm going to show you a picture of it in just a minute. It was about one, it was worth one day's wage. Show me a denarius, a coin, whose image and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, then render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to trap him, marveling at his answer, and they became silent. Just Jeff used the word last week in a similar passage in which they were trying to tra uh, trap Jesus. Jeff used uh, the word how brilliant Jesus is in the way that he responds to these traps that are, are being set by him. I'm going to use the word like genius. This, this is genius what Jesus has just done here. So the the uh, religious leaders, the scribes, and the chief priests think that they have trapped Jesus because they're going to ask him a question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Is it lawful to pay taxes or not to Caesar? If Jesus answers, a no, it is not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Pharisees can... Uh, accuse him of sedition and rebellion to the Romans and turn him over to the Roman authorities. If he says, yes, you should pay taxes uh, to Caesar and to the Romans, then the people are going to get riled up and annoyed and think that he's pro-Roman and he's going to lose half of his followers. But Jesus does what he did in the teaching last week. When he's uh, asked a question, he answers the question with another question. He says, show, uh, put up the next slide. This is what a, um, this is what a denarius looked like. You've got a pic picture of Caesar on the, on the front and another picture of him on the back. And um, Jesus says, you need to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, what, what's he talking about? And of course, 
It means that you and I and the people then, we are called to obey the government that's over us. And and we can just bring this kind of right down to home this morning. Because what, what season is it right now? It's tax season, right? And so, and so uh, not only from this passage that Jesus gives us, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but all through the New Testament we're called to obey governing authorities, especially in Romans 13. We have a whole chapter just about devoted to obey the governing authorities, yield and surrender your will to the governing authorities, do what they've told you to do, unless it's some kind of great violation of God's commands. You know, so like I'm doing my taxes. <laughs> I'm doing my taxes and I go, now this oregano that I bought at Whole Foods, I wonder if I could put that on my medication list. <laughs> because, you know, I take it before I go to Asia so I don't get malaria. I think that probably should go. But, you know, legally you're not allowed to put stuff you buy at Whole Foods on your medication list. And then when I donate clothes to the assistance league, well, how much are they really worth? Well, I know kind of what they're worth. Should I make them worth a little bit more to get a little bit of a higher deduction? And then, I, then the Holy Spirit reminds me, you need to render to Caesar what's Caesar's. You need to obey governing authority. So this, this plays out. You know, the, much of what life's about is yielding to authority. And those of you who have a hard time uh, in yielding to authority, you have a hard time in life. You have a hard time in life because uh, the first principle of life is when you are born and you grow, you need to start understanding, you need to yield to, to your parents' authority, you yield to your teacher's authority, you yield to your coach's authority, you yield to your employer's authority, and we need to uh, yield to the authority of the government. I don't hear too many amens in saying that. <laughs> I often hear a lot of amens, but I don't hear too many amens in that because when you think of the word authority, it kind of like annoys you. How many of you drive 65 on the freeway? Yeah. I heard a CHP say, just drive 78, you'll be okay. But if you go 79, you're going to get pulled over. So I drive 78, that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I found this definition of a genius. A genius is someone, like Jesus, of course, who gives a a well-thought-out response that strikes the arrogant silent. This is the genius. This is a brilliant one who's able to, when someone speaks, you can give a word right back that will strike that word down and silence the person who said it. All right, we're going to look at our next. Uh, our, we look at our next section now, and this is this crazy story, and it is a crazy story that the Sadducees are going to ask. Uh, Jesus. They're not really going to ask him. They're going to. The, the purpose of this story is that, this, that their focus is to humiliate Jesus, is to is to embarrass Jesus, is to confuse Jesus, and so they give this really hokey story. It's almost a story that you could put on forensic files, if you ask me, by the way that it's the story plays out, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. So we have the, the Sadducees uh, introduced to us. Who knows who the Sadducees are? They're a pseudo-political-slash-religious group, really high up in the society of the Jewish people at that time, but they are 
basically the kind of deist or agnostic slash atheist uh, of that day. They're, they're a political party mostly, but they don't believe in the miraculous. They don't believe in life after death. They don't believe in the resurrection. And, uh, and they also are opponents of Jesus because they like their own following and Jesus has got everybody else following him and, and a lot of their followers have left for Jesus. So the Sadducees are going to come and try to confuse him with, with, this, uh, with this little story. And Jesus' answer is like, it is just so perfect. His answer is so perfect. And besides that, reveals to us truth that we would never, ever have known before if it wasn't for this story. Let's read it. Then the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection, came to Jesus, and they questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife and no children, his brother should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. And you'll find that this is a true, this is a true ordinance in Deuteronomy, that if a brother uh, was married and he happened to die, had no children, that Moses said, the brother should take the deceased brother's place. So they're right in what they say. Now there were, verse 29, now there were seven brothers and the first took a wife uh, and she died. Uh, and he died with no children. And the second and the third took her in the like manner. All seven died, leaving no children. I'm telling you, there's something f funny with this woman right here. <laughs> Like I said, I think it sounds like a forensic file to me. <laughs> uh, if I'm brother number three, I'm going, uh, Mom, Dad, oh, I don't think I want to do this. <laughs> of course, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a made-up story. They're trying to trap, trap Jesus. They took her, and like manner, all seven died. Finally, the woman also died. Now, in the resurrection, because they don't believe in the re resurrection, so they're trying to mess him up. Now, in the resurrection, don't do, go to the next slide yet. Now, in the resurrection, whose wife will the woman be for all seven married her? And the answer, you guys, gives us insight into heaven that is found nowhere else in the Bible. This answer is coming now. Here's the answer. And Jesus said, the people of this world marry and are given in marriage but those worthy to gain the next world and the future age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are they given in marriage. Jesus reveals to us something that we never knew. It's nowhere else found in the Bible. Nowhere else before here, nowhere else after here. That in heaven there is no marriage. There is no marriage. Now, <laughs> my wife was kind of feeling it for me the other night. <laughs> And, and she, she, she says, what are you teaching? Uh, uh, this was two weeks ago. What are you teaching? I said, oh, I'm teaching about the, about the, the wife who, who married all seven brothers, you know, and then Jesus says, well, there's no marriage in heaven. And Nikki goes, oh, but, but I want to be with you in heaven. <laughs> she says, we're one flesh. We should be together in heaven. We should be married. I said, Nikki, Nikki. I said, there's going to be something more interesting than Jay Grant in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be something a lot more interesting than Jay Grant in heaven. It's going to be God. 
And really, Jesus isn't exactly accurate when he says there is no marriage in heaven, is he? Because there's going to be one major marriage in heaven somewhere in eternity where the church who is called his body is going to marry Jesus, who's called the head of the body. The two will be joined together. And we read the famous passage on marriage in Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. You think he's talking about marriage, and he is, but in the end, Paul writes, what I'm really talking about is Christ in the church. But as far as human marriage goes, I don't know, if, I don't know what I'm going to be in heaven. I know I'm going to be there because of what Jesus did. I'll be in heaven because of what Jesus did, not for any other thing. We're all made worthy, and that's, this, is one of the, this is one of the statements that Jesus makes. The people of this world marry and are given in marriage, but those worthy to gain the next world, well, how do you, like, this is an important question. How are you worthy to gain the next world? How are you worthy to move into the future age? How are you worthy to partake of the resurrection from the dead? You are only worthy in one way. And that is that God has taken your sin and your unrighteousness, he's taken your unrighteousness, taken it away, and he's given you his righteousness. This is the great exchange. That he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the very righteousness of God. The only way you attain to the resurrection from the dead, to enter into the future age, and to gain the next world, is to be accounted worthy through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And how do you get that righteousness? You get it through faith. You have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of any kind of your own works that you could never boast. Jesus said, believe, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's you, every one of you here, you're the whosoever, that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Wow, I don't know about you, but uh, I'd like to attain to this resurrection. How many here would like to attain to this resurrection? Yeah, I'm not even done with the message yet. When I'm done with the message, you're going to want to be in this resurrection more yet. Okay? So I can't say, I don't know if I'm going to be a pastor in heaven or not. What do you think, what do you think Jeff? I don't know. But I do know this. I officiate a lot of weddings, but I'll not be officiating another one ever again because there's no marriage in heaven. Now, for those of you who are happily married right now, you're going to have to talk to God about it. And there may be sides of this that we don't see. There may be some kind of, who knows? I don't know how it's all going to work out. There's a lot said about how to get to heaven. There's not much said to describe heaven. God sort of whets our appetite. So, uh, continue on here in verse uh, 36. We are told now uh, what uh, those who are erected are like. Verse 36, for they cannot die again uh, as they are like what? Angels. So here's, a, here's some insight to us. We are like angels when we attain to the resurrection from the dead. Like the sons of God and sons of the resurrection, like these are these are these are terms of heightened of heightened beauty and excitement for us. You're going to be like angels. You're going to be like sons of God. You're going to be sons of the resurrection. 
But that the dead are raised, Moses showed in the passage of the burning bush when he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. And some of the scribes said, Teacher, you've spoken well. And they did not dare question him again. <laughs> it, it, it makes me feel proud. Jesus makes me feel proud. that they, they threw everything they had at him. The scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees, they threw everything they had at him. And in the end, they all failed. And they had to marvel at who he was. They had to admit, like, like we, we, we can't trip him up. He speaks too well. We're not even going to question him anymore. We're not even going to question him uh, anymore. So what do we learn from this passage? Uh, let me have the next slide, and this is the last slide. I, 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 I titled this, I used this word myself, uh, metamorphosis. Do you know what a metamorphosis is? Metamorphosis is a worm. This is a good example. A worm being changed into a butterfly. That's a metamorphosis. There used to be a song. So I sing it. There used to be a song that went, changed in the twinkling of an eye, changed from a worm to a butterfly. Yeah, I shouldn't have sung that one, but I... <laughs> Every time I sing it, it makes me feel like I'm going through a metamorphosis when I sing it. You know, like, I'm on my way. I'm, the, I'm, I'm like that caterpillar worm now, you know, I'm... I'm kind of like, you're doing fine, you're just doing fine. <laughs> I like excitement in church. I like people talking and involved and participating. I do, honestly. So, this passage tells us some, so, some things that, we, you know, that are very clear to us. Uh, number one is it reminds us that we're all passing from this earth, Right? Hebrews 9.27 says, For it is appointed unto man to die once. And then comes the judgment. That blows high sky all kinds of ideas we have in the new age about reincarnation. I don't know about you, but I would not want to be reincarnated even if there was reincarnation. <laughs> One life down here is enough for me. Amen? Even though Gary does a great job and everything, he takes care of all of us, one life's all I want down here. Well, I'm just looking like this. You guys, this is not life. Our real life is, is the next life. This life ends. The real life doesn't end. So it reminds us that we're all going to pass. And shoot, I went to my, my grandson's flag football game in Irvine on Friday night. I thought to myself, I thought it was just like last year. I went to my own son's football game. Like, where all the time go? This is 25 years later. What happened? By the way, Dylan went five for five in his first five passes. <laughs> two touchdowns, two extra points, and intercepted a pass on defense. <laughs> he actually did a little better than the Rams, I think. <laughs> Number two, uh, verses 34 and 35 that we just read, shows us heaven will be far different from this world. There'll be no marriage, and I'm going to talk about a whole lot of other things in just a minute that are also different. Number three, verse 35, tells us that you must be accounted worthy to attain to the resurrection, and I've already told you, there's only one way that you, you, you can never be uh, worthy in yourself, all right? 
You just need to get that out of your head. I don't care how many good works you do. I don't care how many mission trips you take. I don't care how many people you share Christ with, even if you don't know him. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you give all your money to the poor. I don't care if you give your body to be burned, to be a martyr. You will never get to heaven on doing your own stuff. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. You can never, you can never make yourself good enough for God. Well, I've never robbed a bank. I've never killed anybody. It doesn't matter what you have. The thief on the cross had killed somebody and said, only said, Lord Jesus, remember me when you go to your kingdom. And Jesus said to that man who had a mustard seed, tiny bit of faith, I tell you this day, you'll be with me. That's all that it took. Real faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. This is how you attain to the resurrection. You admit I'm a sinner. And I want that, those sins forgiven because those sins are separating me from you. And I want to confess those sins to you, believe that Jesus died for them, ask you into my life, and you'll be changed. You'll go through a metamorphosis right here. All right, number four, we'll be like angels, sons of God, immortal. I talked about that, incorruptible. And when we die, receiving a new, transformed, and glorious spiritual body. Number five, Verse 36 means that we'll leave behind forever our old physical body. So there's, there's two things that we are leaving behind, everybody. I just want you to know, when you pass from this earth, you're leaving behind this old decaying body that we have. You're leaving that behind. Okay, that's the first thing. You're leaving that behind. You're going to be given a new body. And the second thing that you'll leave behind, you're going to leave behind your old carnal, selfish sin nature. Is anybody excited about that? I am. You're not going to be struggling and fighting every day and going around the mountain trying to figure out how do I like say no to this temptation and you know all of these things that we're trying to make choices, right and wrong, good and bad. All that's going to be over. We're leaving that nature. It's going to be gone. What you're taking to heaven is your spirit. And what is your spirit? Your spirit is the place where you connect with God. Your spirit is that place where you worship God, okay? And then uh, number uh, seven, six, we will live with God alive to him forever and ever. And then number seven, this is the great metamorphosis of the believer, an astonishing change. So I think probably we could, we could make a list that would stretch from here to Washington, D.C., of all the changes that you are going to experience when you leave this earth, every one of you who's a true believer in the Lord Jesus, the list is endless of what's going to be different. The corruptible is going to put on the incorruptible. The perishable will put on the imperishable. The mortal is going to put on the immortal. Right now you bear the image of the earthly. Then you'll bear the image of the heavenly. You'll never be sick again. You'll never be ill. You'll never ever be diagnosed with a disease. There are no doctors in heaven. 
You'll never be depressed again, never discouraged. Rejection, insecurities, heartbreak, all gone. They'll never shed another tear. They'll never be in fear. You'll never be lonely again. You'll never suffer any kind of loss. You'll never have a tooth filled. You'll never need these glasses. You'll have perfect hearing. There are no wheelchairs in heaven. There are no canes in heaven. There are no walkers in heaven. Sadness and sorrow and regret and grief, tribulation, suffering, all gone. Sin, gone. Addiction, not there. No failures. Your weaknesses will be left here on this earth. You won't find a prison in heaven. You won't find a hospital in heaven. You won't find a clinic or an asylum in heaven because of the great metamorphosis and the glory of God. And somebody said to me, I was wondering, like, Jay, could you tell me, what are we going to wear in heaven? You're going to wear exactly what Jesus wears. He's covered in glory. His clothing is a covering of unimaginable majesty and beauty. We'll be clothed in the glory of God. We are like angels. We're like the stars of the heaven. We'll shine like the sun. Heaven is as far different from earth as you could possibly imagine. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said that he'd been taken to the third heaven and there were not words in our own language in which he could even release to us, impart to us, describe to us what he had seen. It is so different. It is so beautiful. It's so other than this world and this life here. But God's put us here for purposes and reasons. And our life forever will be there. But down here now, God's got a purpose and a call in each one of your lives. And we ought to live fully for him. As it says in 1 Peter, we don't see him now. We don't see him now, but we believe. We believe with a faith that's enduring, with a faith that's real. Wow, I can so sense the presence of God here this morning right now. I can so sense God's presence because he wants every one of you <clears throat> with him as an angel going through this glorious metamorphosis in which you'll never, ever know anything but the joy and the wonder and the awesomeness of walking with God and knowing him. And somebody said to me, well, Jay, what do you think we'll do up there? I think that we're going to spend all eternity just discovering aspects of God that are endless. The wonder and beauty of God. God himself is enough. Jesus is all and in all. We get to love him. We'll be able to love him. We'll be able to love God face to face. I'm not that far away from this metamorphosis, everybody. 
<laughs> it's exciting. I'm excited about it. I'm going to live life, anybody that knows me, 200%, I'm going for it every day. But when my times, I've said this before, you know, like if I collapse right here and die, I don't want anybody running up here and trying to raise me from the dead. Just <laughs> let me go, please. <laughs> Isn't God good? What he's promised, what's, what, what lies ahead, and this funny little story about the resurrection. What, what a joy to talk about it and what it sparks for us and what we can think about now is, as we leave. And I hope you remember something about this message. You know, I hope you can wake up in the morning and go, wow, there's another life coming. But God, help me live this life for everything that you want me to live it for.